I just want to say like as someone in the wellness space with pressure to have like some type of pool style epidural free birth at home, I will be the first to tell you like, I didn't think it was going to be me. I didn't think it was going to be me. I haven't told this story in a while. So if I cry, I'm sorry. I'm Doug Bopes, personal trainer, best-selling author and entrepreneur. And I'm on a mission to help others become the best version of themselves. So I'd like to welcome you to the Adversity Advantage podcast, where we will help you use obstacles, failures, and setbacks to give you that edge needed for success. I'll be interviewing people from all walks of life on how they overcame trials and turned them into triumphs. So please sit back, relax, and get ready to be absolutely blown away by some of the wisdom and stories you're about to hear. Welcome back to another episode of the Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bobst. And today, Kelly Levesque returns to the podcast for the second time. And Kelly is a holistic nutritionist. She's a wellness expert and a celebrity health coach. And most importantly, she is a mom of two little boys and is based in Southern California. Kelly is guided by a practical and always optimistic approach and helps her clients improve their health, achieve their goals, and develop sustainable habits to live a healthy and balanced life. And I have a feeling that we're going to take this combo down a slightly different path today and dive more into parts of Kelly's journey that you may not be as familiar with. So let's welcome Kelly Levesque to the Adversity Advantage podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. Good to be here. I know I'm really excited to chat with you again because we connected super well, both on your podcast and on my show initially. And I was like, you know, I want to get you back on and dive more into your expertise, have the audience get to know you a bit more. But first, did I see, so you moved back to Orange County. The secret is out now. I mean, I've been tagging myself in Orange County, but what scared me was that the majority of my business is in Los Angeles. Like I see actors and actresses on set. I see them in their homes. I, you know, see clients at the Sovo house. I had like built my business and my brand seeing people in Los Angeles. And so a silver lining of COVID was that people became totally okay with me seeing them virtually through Zoom. And my husband's mom became sick. She actually suffered an aneurysm in the beginning of 2020, put her in a coma for almost a month. It was really hard on our family. She's made a massive recovery. We're so lucky she survived, to be honest. And she's like thriving. She's actually here right now with my with baby T. She's downstairs hanging out. And then my husband's dad actually went through a series. He had a, a series of um, strokes and he had to, we had to get him some help. And they're both down here in Orange County by my parents. And so we made the executive decision as a family. We found some mold in our apartment that we've been in for 10 years. I was pregnant with baby T, kind of like all the things collided. And I went, mama needs the beach. We need to be by our parents. And let's, let's make our way south. Let's slow this life down a little bit for our kids and support our family. And I, I guess <laughs> the reason I wanted to bring it up is because I saw a post you made about you moving and buying your first house that I think was super important that you waited so long to buy your first house. Like there's a lot of people and I'm sure people that you coach that set these big goals to like lose a bunch of weight or, you know, save money or what have you. And when things get harder, challenging, they want to quit or give up. So my question, I guess, for you is like when you hit those moments, I know you had a lot of ups and downs during the process. Like what would you tell yourself to stay focused on the goal and not go out and spend a bunch of money on something or or veer off track? Yeah, I think you you have priorities. Look, I'm so passionate about my business and I I believe in myself because I am so passionate about it. So my focus was on my business at the time. So 
going down to one car, a Toyota Tacoma from my dad's tow yard. My dad owned a towing company and you could buy old junkers off his yard. And that was one of those cars that we bought from my dad at an auction of his and for a couple grand. And so we made decisions. We sold in my Volvo SUV at the time to save money. We consolidated. My husband was riding the LA bus and a lot of people never take a bus in LA, but we were down to one car and that's what we did. We made those choices because, because we were betting on ourselves because I'd rather invest in myself, in businesses, in stocks, in Bitcoin. I'd rather invest than, than spend. And so I saw this, like, I think it was a meme and it was like people, people's wealth in 10 or 15 or 20 years based on their investments. And it's like, instead of buying Nike shoes, buy Nike stock. Instead of spending your money on Amazon, buy Amazon stock. Like that, we don't need the new iPhone. You need what you need to get by. But the world is telling you you need those things. You're being marketed to that you need those things, but you don't need those things. Like what we need is simple. And every single time I'd get stressed out about the money or stressed out about my business and how successful or unsuccessful it was, we would streamline. So we'd go into our expenses and say like, well, what are we spending again every month? Looking at our budget, looking at where we can save, what we can get rid of, how we can, you know, really focus on the brand. And there were certain times absolutely where I felt the fire under me and I was scared because I had to pay rent and I had to pay my husband's student loans from his law school loans. And I had to pay these bills that were kind of, you know, really piling up for me. But Again, I just think you, in those pressure cooker moments, you get creative. Like I remember feeling, asking myself, like, how would I expand the business other than seeing clients? There's only so many hours in the day. How else can you drive or create revenue doing what you love? Well, for me, that's sharing things on Instagram, starting my podcast, starting my products, writing my books, like doing collaborations with with brands like William Sonoma and Wild Friends, Peanut Butter, like thinking, how can I really, how can I think outside the box to create relationships with brands and businesses so that I can do what I love? Right. But just the pressure is there. Like looking back, oh, it was stressful. I'm pretty good at managing stress, I would say, but it builds up like a teapot. Like it's in my body. It builds up like a teapot. And then I, and then I, I spout off, I guess. <laughs> I scream. I freak out. And then I reassess. I take a deep breath. And a lot of times for me, working out and taking care of myself is the difference between me being able to deal with that kind of stress and not being able to deal with it. So with with all that said, I, th- I think it's really inspiring that you were able to stay the course and really keep your your head just focused on your business, on your family and, and focusing on what you and your husband wanted at the time and, and your kids versus like what everybody else wants. Right. And we were talking before we recorded about social media and I gather, I'm sure it was challenging at times where you're scrolling on social media and you're seeing people that in the, in the personal development community or people that, you know, or you're some of your A-list celebrity clients that are buying a new car, buying a new house, going on this extravagant vacation, like buying all these nice things. And here you are like living in an apartment, driving, you know, your dad's Toyota Tacoma and just really buckling down. And so in those, in those moments, I think it's what can trip people up where they will go make an impulsive purchase or they'll go and drink themselves 
you know, up to, into an oblivion because they're so stressed out. Like what were some of the things when you hit those moments, like what would you do to mitigate that so that you didn't fall into that trap? Well, there's a couple things here. So looking back on driving the Toyota Tacoma that I bought for my dad's tow yard to one of my clients' homes, which a lot of times is, you know, in Beverly Hills or in the Hollywood Hills behind a gate, opulent home, pulling up parking. That was so far from my reality that it wasn't something that I compare myself to. And I think where people would trip up is where they start comparing themselves to their friends, right? It's it's keeping up with the Joneses. And the Joneses, for a lot of people, live in their neighborhood. It's someone that they go to the same school with, but they drive a nicer car, or their kids have nicer shoes, or they have a better job. And that that is really where we start to compare ourselves is more in it seems to me like that's where most people get tripped up or where myself or my husband or where our family would get tripped up is more around what were our friends doing you know for us Chris was a lawyer for seven years and then we got married and six months later he quit his job so I was working in cancer and genetics for three years and also side hustling my business so the second part of this is that I never not until I left my corporate career in cancer genetics did I really feel the rub of, wow, I am paying for everything by myself without a parachute. So I, I like to tell people, jump off a curb, not a cliff. I think we have this knee-jerk reaction that, oh, I'm going to go leave my job and start do something that I love. But they don't set themselves up financially to deal with that. And then they fail. Whereas for me, it's like I took my corporate career income and I invested it into my new business. I invested in by doing photo shoots with recipes and by, you know, paying for my website and paying for a system to manage my clients and really like believing in myself and, and buying a ticket to New York to meet with book agents. Like I wouldn't have had that income based on my hourly rate as a health coach when I first started out, my rate was like $50 an hour. And that wouldn't have been able to pay for our apartment and my husband's loans and everything we were doing. So there's a couple things here because when you start to compare yourself, you're, you should never compare yourself to people like celebrities. For me, that was so out of my realm of reality that it's really more in my comparing, I'm comparing myself to my friends who I graduated college with. Where are they? Well, maybe they're an investment maker. They're a lawyer. They're in residency to be a doctor. Okay. You can start to compare yourself to those people. But when you have a focus that is so laser, you, when your focus is, la is laser being focused on your business, the other people don't matter. And I think that is my advice to anyone who wants to start a business, be so busy with your own business that you aren't caught up in other people's business. You have to be busy doing the work. And if you're not doing the work, you're watching other people work. And that is going to drive you crazy. And comparison is a thief of joy. It makes people anxious, depressed. It's a time suck. Go get your life back. Like turn off social media and get your life back. Yeah, there's, I, I heard this quote I, I don't know who said it, but it was like, there's three types of people. There's people who make things happen, people who watch other people make things happen, and people who watch other people make things happen and wonder what happened. On the subject of social media, I know as far as eating goes, that's a big struggle for a lot of people now with the facade that's out there 
on Instagram and, and other platforms of what it means to be healthy and what it means to, to look good and feel good. So how do you navigate that with your clients? Like, is there, do you help them set boundaries? Like, what does that look like? I love a mute button. If you feel it, if it makes you feel bad to unfollow, mute is a really nice button that you can push at any time. If you find that you are thinking about an influencer that you're following, or you're starting to feel bad about yourself because of what someone's starting to share, it, you can take a break from people at any point in time. And I think you want to find people that make you feel motivated to go do something different in your day because our whole life is made up of the moments that we have every single day. And so you need to fill those moments and you need to be a filter for what you are taking into your life, whether that's the news, social media, you know, the people you surround yourself with, all of that influences who you are and the choices you make. And for me personally, I've had clients who follow a bunch of wellness or fitness influencers to get to feel motivated and then it makes them actually feel the opposite. So I would say, take a break, take a breather, follow your friends, <laughs> follow the people you love and love you back and maybe spend your time on Pinterest or looking for healthy recipes or pick a few blogs that you really love and just dial in with your own plan. Are you having people come to you and saying, hey, like I saw this diet or this cleanse on so-and-so's page or I want to look like this person. I mean, are any of your clients coming to you with, with that stuff or have you kind of got them dialed in already? No, it's it's less saying I want to look like this person, but it's been a decade of getting, hey, do you, how do you feel about oat milk? How do you feel about celery juice? How do you feel about keto? How do you feel about paleo? I mean, from a supplements to diets to fads or trends like Bulletproof Coffee, like the minute those trends happen, a lot of times... I'm in this. This is my world. So I may already know about it and know the, how it works on in the body and will have some opinions about it. But a lot of times it go back to the client. Like, what is this? How will it work in your body? Does it fit into your lifestyle? And then we make a decision collectively about whether it's right for them or not. Mm. I always want my clients to be able to look at the trend or the food or whatever it is and be able to analyze it and how it's going to affect their blood sugar, how it'll affect their adrenaline, their cortisol. I want to empower them with how their choices affect their biology and then allow them to make the decision based on what is their lifestyle and what do their days look like? And, you know, are they single? Are they married? Do they have kids? Do they get good sleep and workout or do they not have time for that because their job is really stressful? All of those things seem to be taken into account whenever you're making a choice as to whether something like a, a food trend, whether it's celery juice or bulletproof coffee, do totally opposite things might work for you. Right. And I'm, I'm not, I'm not a trend person. I kind of just mm -hmm. personally, I stick to the basics. And I think I would agree on a lot of this where I'm like, all right, stick to mostly whole foods, fruits, vegetables, nuts, seeds, legumes, like complex carbs and, and good sources of protein and let the rest figure itself out. So what's like the been like the most common question or struggle in the last like year or so that your clients have come to you with? Organifi is a line of organic superfood blends that offers plant-based nutrition made with high-quality ingredients. Each Organifi blend is science-backed to craft the most effective doses with ingredients that are organic, 
and free of fillers and contain less than three grams of sugar per serving. This includes Organifi Green Juice, which I am now using in my smoothies, either after a workout or for a great on-the-go snack. It's loaded with essential superfoods and a clinical dose of ashwagandha. It helps reduce stress and support healthy cortisol levels. Cutting down on caffeine is a big initiative of mine as we head into the new year, and Organifi's Red Juice is going to help me do just that. It's basically a superfood fruit punch that gives me a jolt of energy without the caffeine, and it only has two grams of sugar. If you aren't into smoothies, don't worry. Organifi products are super easy to mix, and you can add one scoop to a glass of water. So go to www.organifi.com forward slash Doug and use code Doug for 20% off your order. That's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I dot com forward slash Doug and use the code Doug for 20% off any item. Do you like free stuff? Well, you're in luck because Buy Optimizer's Black Friday deal starts now. And not only are they giving you a huge discount all month long, they are also giving away over $200 worth in free gifts. This is their best sale of the entire year, so now is the perfect time to stock up on some of their best-selling Magnesium Breakthrough, the only organic full-spectrum magnesium supplement that includes seven unique forms of magnesium for stress relief and better sleep all in one bottle. As I have mentioned previously, I have been using this to help improve my sleep, and it's unlike any other magnesium supplement that I have used in the past. Most magnesium supplements fail because they are synthetic and they are not full-spectrum. When you get all seven critical forms of magnesium, pretty much every function in your body gets upgraded from your brain to your sleep to your pain and inflammation and, of course, less stress. For the month of November, they are offering 10% off using my unique code plus over $200 in free gifts with select purchases. So go to www.magbreakthrough.com forward slash Doug and use code Doug10 to get your discount and free gifts today. Oh, and one last thing. You should know all Bioptimizer supplements are best in class. If for some reason you feel differently, you can get a full refund up to one year after your purchase, no questions asked. Again, the link to go to right now for this exclusive deal is www.magbreakthrough.com forward slash Doug with code Doug10. Do it now while supplies last and don't miss the November 30th deadline. Now back to the show. I think everyone went through the stress of lockdown, a lot of emotional eating, leaning on a lot of processed foods, whether that was fast food or frozen food or delivery. And I think they're carrying the burden of the world because we're watching news from all over the world. And I remember reading a quote that said the human heart is only able to manage the, the problems of their village. And we've changed the game. Like we watch, you know, whether it's being you're being served up stories on Instagram of like kids who are fighting cancer, or you know, I remember being in the NICU with Sebastian and then getting inundated with NICU stories and just feeling like really overwhelmed by that. Like we can't carry the burden of the world, and what we know how to do is self soothe with food. And I think I, what I hope for our future, and I. I know there's a movement in it right now is loving on our children and having them communicate and having them be seen and understood and having their feelings be okay, no matter what those feelings are. If they want to scream and cry, if they want to feel upset and frustrated, it's not just about falling in line anymore and following the rules and listening to mom and dad. It's really this open communication line that makes them feel safe and seen and secure so that they can have those feelings and Anyways, I just really think like we're 
our generation is doing a really good job having these open lines of communication so that that our kids could feel that way. But when we look at the last year and a half, like our generation just self-sues with food or alcohol or sex or whatever addiction they have, like that's how we cope. And so I've seen that with a lot of clients, they coped with food. And so now they're coming back to health and they're trying to find out how do I take care of myself? How do I learn to work out at home if the gyms are going to be open and closed and open and closed? How do I make time to cook meals for my family? And so what I do love, another silver lining of the pandemic is that they're coming to me. Yes, they may have vanity goals. They may have weight loss goals, but they're coming to me with this deeper why. Like I want to take care of myself so that I can be here for the long run so that I can fight viruses and flus and show my kids how to take care of themselves or feed my family right. So we we have to look at the silver linings of the pandemic and say there are people coming back around who want real true health. They want to understand. They want to be educated. They don't want a quick fix. They don't want a fad diet. They don't want a trend. They want what we offer, which is whole foods, blood sugar balance, nutrient density, and the basics. Yeah. Yeah. You're so, you're so right. And I think a lot of people now are struggling to get back on their feet from the last year and a half because they've gotten in a rhythm of eating out so much. They've gotten in a rhythm of ordering the Uber Eats and ordering the DoorDash and just going and picking up food because that's become their new normal, right? And I think your environment creates this false sense of normalcy where now if that's all you've been surrounding yourself with over the last year, your brain is just ad- is adapted to that. So like on that, on that subject of just eating out and, and traveling, one of the most common questions I get, I'm sure it's a common question you get is like, how do I eat well on the run? Like I'm super busy. I got a million things going on, like I'm going this place, going that place, bouncing around from soccer game, the book football game. Like, like what are your top tips that you practice with your clients and with yourself to eat healthy when out and on the run? Look, I love a roadie. What a roadie is for me is different from what it was with for my dad, which was probably a Coors Light in a car. <laughs> but a roadie for me is a smoothie on the go. So I I think protein powder is underutilized. I know I love whole foods. I love bringing nuts and olives, but protein is the most satisfying macronutrient. And when you go to an airport or you're traveling in a hotel and you open a mini bar or you go to the convenience store at the airport, there's low protein density in anything that's offered. And if you're talking about the fast food in an airport, that's like McDonald's, a pizza place, a sandwich place, like the quantity and quality of protein you're going to get is low. And so some people, most people will start to avoid that or just say, whatever, I'm going to get the Big Mac meal. But protein for me is key. So the roadie is protein powder. I walk through security. I have either a shaker bottle like most of the guys do at the gym. (laughs) I have chia seeds with me. I'll have a handful of nuts. I'll do protein and chia seeds. And I'll either, depending on if it's the morning time, I might get an iced coffee from Starbucks. If it's, you know, later in the day, I might just mix it up with a little bit of water, powdered coconut milk if I have it. So I'm looking for powdered and seeded seeds for fat and fiber. And I'll take the protein powder. I'll even make individual baggies that'll have I love silicone bags. If you, they have like reusable silicone mini bags and I'll do a protein, scoop of protein powder, a scoop of chia seeds, a scoop of coconut milk powder, MCT blend. 
take it through security with me. And it can be an unsweetened ice cream tea that I get from Starbucks or an iced coffee. And I'll shake it up and make a mocha or like a creamy matcha latte or green tea latte. That's going to give me the protein that I need. And I'll just sip that the whole flight or waiting for my, you know, the air airplane or whatever. And then I'll keep a cup full of minimal snacks around. Depending on the person, I may recommend to a client that this is the perfect time to do a long fast. Now, if you're not prepared and you don't know if you can handle that type of a fast, going to the airport unprepared is not the right option because you will break and buy whatever is available. And then there's this mindset that kicks in like, I'm a failure, so I'm just going to get whatever I want. I'll try again tomorrow. And I hate that. So let's not do that. If you find that you're an emotional or anxious flyer, stick to fueling yourself. But the roadie is key for me. And I take protein powder to hotels with me. I'll call down for all the things I need to make a smoothie. Like I've been known if I'm gone to New York for press to bring the mini Nutribullet. It's $35 Nutribullet from Target. I'll, you know, take it with me to my hotel room and have them send up almond milk, ice, and spinach. And I'll just blend my protein, fat, and fiber with that to have a real meal. Because I know when I start the day with protein, fat, and fiber, I see it on my glucometer. I see my blood sugar is stable. My cravings are non-existent. But the problem is, is when you're traveling and you're on the run and you go, I'll just grab that coffee and I'll just, well, there's no good options. So I'll grab a banana. And then that spike and crash causes you to be more hungry 90 minutes later. Or you don't grab the banana and you grab the bagel or the muffin. And, and then the whole day is kind of shot because these crashes are causing you to, to need to eat graze or bring your blood sugar back up right preparation is key right what do they say like failing to prepare is preparing to fail it's the old you'll yeah. go and I, I i try to pack protein powder too and i think it's a phenomenal idea so i mean yeah i think that was a it's a really good tip so as far as like smoothie this is like your bread and butter this is like your wheelhouse yeah people are always asking like what do i put in my smoothie do i use almond milk do i use oat milk do i put nuts do i put peanut butter like like, so if you had like three to five ingredients that you think everybody should include in a smoothie, like what would they be? Well, they'd be the fab four, maybe protein, fat, fiber, and leafy greens. And it's interesting because I've always known the science of mixing macronutrients, protein, fat, and fiber. I know how that supports blood sugar balance. And now I wear a continuous glucose monitor from Levels. Yep. And I'm an investor in that business. And every single time a Fab Four smoothie hits, they do a number scale zero to 10 based on metabolic health. And it scores a 10 every single time. And I've been playing, like pushing the boundaries, adding more fruit. So the Fab Four smoothie limits fruit to a fourth to a half a cup. Because what I was seeing was clients put protein powder in their smoothie and then they put a little bit of almond butter or maybe they put chia or flax. Okay, so they have their protein, fat, and fiber. And they're going to put a little bit of spinach because they want to make it green. But then they put a banana and mango and pineapple. <laughs> and at the end of the day, it's, you know, 30 grams of fruit sugar that's going to skyrocket your blood sugar. And what I've seen on my continuous glucose monitor, I just tested a cup of strawberries the other day and my blood glucose went up almost 30 points. And when I make a Fab Four smoothie, it's somewhere between five, like three and eight on average, about five. Uh, milligrams per deciliter and what that is is that that that's an elongated like elongated balanced curve that's going to allow me to roll into lunch and be like what do I feel like versus this major spike and crash that makes me feel 
like I have to have something sweet or I have to have something starchy or the crackers or I need to go snack in my pantry. I have none of those feelings when my blood sugar is balanced and I don't have to be in ketosis to have those feelings. So a benefit of going keto is that you're burning fat for fuel. You feel great. You can go hours without eating because your body's dipping into fat stores and you are making these ketones that make you feel awesome. I get that same benefit when my blood sugar is elongated and balanced with whole foods and the right combination. Right. No, and I, I love levels. I actually tested it out too. I had Josh Clemente on the podcast. Nice. He was, and he was awesome. Yeah. And it what was really fascinating about the conversation I had with him is Casey, his partner's plant-based. And that's always been like a big thing, right? Like, oh my gosh, you can't be plant-based and regulate your blood sugar. And it just proves that it's very individualistic and you have to do what works for your body. And there are certain ways, but I think the combination is the same. Good protein, yeah. whether it's from plants or animals, fiber, healthy fats and, and veggies, right? I think that's what makes up the, the sweet spot for optimal health. So I want to go back to something you said, you kind of brushed over it, that Sebastian was in the NICU. If you could walk the audience through what, what happened and in the, the whole NICU story, I think people would be really inspired. Yeah, no problem. I haven't told this story in a while. So if I cry, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, I did. I had a really beautiful pregnancy with Sebastian. I'm really lucky to get pregnant pretty easily. I don't keep every pregnancy, but I get pregnant pretty quickly. And uh, that was a case with Sebastian. I had, you know, no nausea. I gained like 20 something pounds. I was able to stay active and and I went into labor naturally, but it was almost two full weeks late. So it was 41 and six, 41 weeks and six days. And I was joking around on Insta stories, like I'm eating the labor salad and I'm doing all these things that like people claim will get me into labor. And then I finally uh, went into labor and I labored at home with a doula for, and Chris for 12 hours. So I was making my way into transition and transition for, you know, if you know or not, if you know where you don't is you dilate from nothing to 10 centimeters to deliver a baby. And transition happens around seven or eight centimeters. And they can kind of tell based on how close your contractions are and your symptoms. And so I got to the hospital and I remember the nurses checking me and they were like, Kelly, you did such a great job. Seven centimeters dilated. And I had this goal. I wasn't like set on it, but I had this goal to have a, an ep epidural free labor if I could do it. I wanted to be able to move. I didn't want to be bed bound. I wasn't worried about the medical side effects of an epidural. I just personally wanted like all, all the oxytocin, all like my own chemicals that are released really because of the pain. Like you go through the pain of labor and your body responds with endorphins and all of these like amazing neurotransmitters. And, and I just wanted that cocktail, that internal cocktail. And anyways, they threw on the baby warmer. They were like, okay, you're going to have this baby like any time now. And four hours went by and I basically stalled at transition. I think I, the pain like really ratcheted up and I was really scared. And I ended up, my doctor came in and was like, you need to get the epidural. And I ended up getting the epidural um, because I wanted to have a vaginal birth instead of a cesarean and my body calmed down. And then I wasn't checked actually. And you want to be checked like once they know, once they check your dilation, you want to be checked pretty consistently. And 
my doctor left at like 1230 or one in the morning and returned the next morning. It was almost nine hours later before they were like checking in with me. And I was definitely, I'd probably hit 10 centimeters an hour at the most. I would assume after the epidural based on, I would think based on what happened with me with Toshin. Because once I got an epidural with Toshin, my second son, I went from three centimeters to 10 centimeters in 45 minutes. So my body responds to not being in pain. But I proceeded to have basically four hours of pushing with Sebastian. He was coming down crooked and he had basically had been stuck in this position for, you know, once I got the epidural for maybe nine or 10 hours. And, and I remember like the very end, like I remember pushing the whole way and just being exhausted. And there were pictures of me. I'm like broken capillaries, all my eyes and my face and finally like delivering Sebastian. And I could see the look in the room, like it's like the whole room stopped and I looked down and he was not pink and he was not crying. And I started like rubbing his body really fast. Like, I think I just like was like, what's going on? And, and Chris looked like he was going to pass out or throw up. And I was like, it's okay, babe, this happens. Cause I was in the room with my best friend and this happened where they had to, they had to pull some meconium or some fluid out of her son's, not meconium in her case, but fluid out of her son's throat. And then he cried. And I was like, it's okay. Cause they pulled Sebastian from my body and started to try to help him breathe. And I just remember like looking at this, like limp, like lifeless baby and thinking like, this is like my fault. Like I had to have this like epidural free labor or I, I like had these plans, like that I didn't have to have. And, and then they, 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 you know, said, he's okay. And we're not going to let him cry because I did have, he did have meconium because it was stressful for him. Like I was pushing his body for a really long time. And, and they were like, we need to take him to the NICU immediately. And St. John's in Santa Monica refers out to Children's Hospital Los Angeles. And in hindsight, I probably would have chosen to go to Cedar Sinai where he wouldn't have had to leave. But at community hospital in St. at St. John's, I wanted the community feel like I wanted it to feel like I was delivering in a real regular room, and it wasn't like a big hospital. It was like easygoing and more like a birthing center or something. And in hindsight, like I would have been where doctors could take care of my child immediately. And so they transferred him to the NICU, and Chris left the room, and I was like sitting there like bawling my eyes out and didn't know if my child was going to be okay like I remember looking at Chris at one point because it was a surprise if he was going to be a girl or a boy and saying like what is it you know what is our baby and he's obviously like a healthy little boy now but it totally like takes me back because it's this moment where Chris went to the NICU and they finally said like okay Kelly well you know you have to stay in the room you had the epidural we have to sew you up like when you can get off this bed, like we will roll you to your son so you can see him, you know? And so eventually that time came. And at one point I remember Chris coming back to the room and saying like, he's okay, but like we need to check him out. And, you know, we decided when he came back, like his name is Sebastian because it was going to be Remy or Sebastian. (laughs) We decided it was Sebastian and they rolled me to see him and they were like, he needs to go to Children's Hospital Los Angeles. And he was like in the NICU bed with the tubes, you know, all the IVs. And like, I, like <laughs> I'm at this moment where I was like, okay, like Chris, you have to go. And he left 
and I was at the hospital and luckily I have sisters and my middle sister came to be with me. But, you know, Chris and Sebastian got in an hour commute across Los Angeles to go to Children's Hospital LA. And I remember talking to Chris at 11, finally at like 11 p.m. at night and they're like, you know, your, t- your son had a seizure. He has been through a really traumatic birth. We think that he had oxygen deprivation. He needs to go on a cooling pad for 72 hours. We assume the air child will have a severe form of cerebral palsy where he will um, be able to walk. Maybe he might be able to feed himself. And, you know, I just want to say, like, as someone in the wellness space with pressure to have, like, some type of at-home pool style birth epidural free birth like I will be the first to tell you like I didn't think it was going to be me I didn't think it was going to be me like you never think it's going to be you and I don't think someone should be so scared by this that they don't have the birth that they want but bad things could happen no matter what and like we these babies are gifts and people like living this life on earth, like we go through trauma, we go through problems. And this is like the hardest, this, this, his birthday, which is coming up this Saturday, actually, he'll be three, his birthday. And the two weeks after that, three years ago, was like, was my living hell. Like it was, I don't know. I don't even like, I was the world, anything happening in the world didn't matter. Like his health and my guilt and all of it, like it was just all about him. And it, and from that moment, like I can look now and say, like, I have my perspective on parenting has changed my perspective on what a healthy pregnancy and labor and delivery and what raising your children, like how to be a good parent and like how to be present for our kids. Like that birth changed me as a human being, but it took me a really long time to get over it and to like not see it and to not live it and to not feel like he's going through some time of trauma because he couldn't be with his mom and couldn't even hold him for his first week of life. So it was really hard on us as a family and Chris and I really hard on us. I'm always inspired, A, by like people who can really get raw and real and vulnerable and open up on the show and, and, and really speak from the heart. So, so thank you so much um, for sharing all that you shared. I'm also inspired by like everyone's hero's journey and, and what you've been able to do since that traumatic and incredibly tragic moment in your life. I guess my next question around that is I can imagine after you came home from the hospital, you were pretty traumatized, as was Chris. And what was the healing process like for for you and your husband to be able to get yourself back to some sort of baseline to now be able to not only take care of yourself, your business, but as new parents? Yeah. Well, I'll be the first to say I'm not afraid to ask for help. And in fact, I'm always looking for experts. An expert her refers to experts. So what I like yeah. to say, like I love to refer out. I love to say that something's above my pay grade. And this was not something that I was going to be able to deal with on my own. And so Chris and I 
And Chris is like a, he deals with things internally. Like I have to pull things out of him. I ha- he doesn't want to talk about hard things because he doesn't want to relive them. He's like, I want to feel lucky that we have a healthy child and I want to move on and enjoy every moment with our child. And I'm the kind of person that's like, I want to do that too. But I also need to talk about what we just went through. So we went to therapy and then he felt like after a couple of sessions, like this actually isn't serving me. And so you should continue to go on your own if you feel like you need to do that. And I ended up doing that. So I really, it really helped me. But what really helped me actually, Dr. Will Stew, he is a trauma release therapist. And that was really amazing because I walked through the whole story and I feel like I got 90% better in like 70 or 90 minutes. Like I told the story, I was allowed to cry. I was allowed to shake. I was allowed to scream. I was allowed to like, kind of like get rid of all of like the energy that was living in my body in a way that I wasn't able to do in talk therapy. So I think you need to look at different, if someone's dealing with a trauma and trying to get over it, I think they should look at multiple modalities on how, with what might work for them. Because in the past and small traumas that had happened to me, whether it was like the first, my first love that cheated on me or like something like that, like those types of traumas, like I always process it through my body. So when I look back, how did I get over those things and those like setbacks or the heartbreaks or losing a grandparent? Like I did it on the yoga mat. I did it on the soccer field. Like I do it through moving my body and processing internally that way, but it has to be physical for me too. And so that trauma release therapy really helped because it was allowing me to have a complete release of the emotions I wasn't allowed to have in the OR or I didn't allow myself to have. I would have been able to like scream and cry and feel like out of sorts, but I was really saying to Chris, like, it's going to be okay, babe. We're going to be fine. He's going to be okay. Like I was calming him down in the moment and I didn't really fully understand that I didn't allow my own emotions to happen. And so, you know, searching out help and looking at a multitude of different ways you can process your emotion is really important. Hmm. I I commend you for having the courage to just reach out and ask for help like immediately and not letting it fester so that that way, like a lot of that stuff was still fresh and you could kind of process that in a way that was pretty as healthy as could be, right? And that way you could get back to being a mom and get back to being a business owner and, and a wife is efficient and, and fast and as healthy as possible. And so not only did this, does the story stop there, you decide to have another child that was born last fall, right? He'll be one on Thanksgiving. Yeah. yeah. So I have an October and a November. Right. So I can imagine there was a I would think some fear going into that given your past. And I think a lot of people will relate to this in the sense where they go through a situation that didn't go as expected and may have come across in some sort of failure to them. How did you build up the courage to face your fear and have another baby? Yeah, I want to touch on something right before I, I say that, because it, it really, you mentioned social media the day after Sebastian, you know, Chris has been off social media at Be Bad by Chris. It was like his, he used to troll me and think it was funny. <laughs> he stopped posting after Sebastian was born. He just didn't feel like it was serving him, like comparing his life to other people, comparing our delivery. And it's just, it wasn't. So he took a break and 
if that was something that I could have done in my business, I, I probably would have done it. I definitely didn't feel the the pressure internally to post as much as I, I do now, but I really needed to connect with people in my life like Chris and my husband and, and other moms. One other thing I want to mention is social media is a highlight reel, right? And you need to have boundaries. You need to... It, I stopped following doulas that I was following pregnant, showing births, natural births. I stopped following those kind of things that made me feel compare, like feel like I was comparing my experience to other people's. But on top of that, I was in a group of women that wasn't the highlight reel. I joined the mommy and me and we went on bash. I started going on bash was eight weeks old and I signed up like right around, you know, right before he was born. And that was the greatest thing ever. I remember sitting in that mama circle and having you know, a mom whose boss was like expecting her to be like fully back to work as an attorney, even though she was on maternity leave and a woman who broke her hip in labor and a woman who had like another sort of traumatic situation and one whose child like had had issues as well. And, you know, to be able to have like the real stories, the real raw stories in that incubator time of your postpartum in the three months after delivery, like that's really, really important. You need to get with people who are going to give it to you straight and tell you what real life is about so that you aren't comparing yourself to the highlight reel. So you're comparing yourself to the other moms who are sitting there. And I know this is probably you know, like, you'll learn about this eventually when, <laughs> if you decide to have children, but like when you're like learning to breastfeed in a human woman diaper, like up all night feeding your baby like trying to feed yourself like it is messy and it is hard and like you need women who are in in the trenches with you to remind you why you guys are doing it and to remind you that you're not crazy so that's that's really really important to think about first and foremost and then when it came to getting pregnant with Toshin it's really interesting because I got pregnant right after that session that I did with Will Dr. Will Sue and I had him on my podcast and he has been on the Goop and Health episode. He's actually working with, he works with people with PTSD in the MAPS program. He's like a doctor who can use, legally use psychedelics to help people through nice. like traumatic ev events. And I went to him like, not at like my wits end, but just because I knew that that was potentially an option. I didn't ever need to like use psychedelics to process it I really just needed the space and time and then I share that story on my podcast but we had tried one month to get pregnant and it didn't work and then I was like I think I need to like close some things with this story with Sebastian I feel like I need to just like release a little bit more and then I sought out Dr. Will had that session and I got pregnant and then he followed up like hey do you want to do a follow-up session and I wrote him back actually you're like one of the first five people to know, but I'm already pregnant. So <laughs> thanks for all your work. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And honestly, I wanted a redo. Like I went into my second delivery and my second pregnancy so different. And my pregnancy was so different. Like I was nauseous. I wasn't nauseous with Sebastian. I was having cravings. I never had cravings with Sebastian. I was in like we were during, it was during lockdown. I couldn't go to the gym and like my yoga classes. I had to like cultivate an at home workout, like practice. Like there were so many different things with Bash's pregnancy and Toshin's pregnancy. And the one thing that I did do this time around with Toshin is I didn't have a plan. I just said, Hey, look, I really want a healthy baby. If I can get away with it, I want a vaginal delivery. And 
I just want my baby on my chest. Like I want that postpartum room experience where they like come in your room 30 times because they want to check your blood pressure and your baby. And like, you don't get any sleep in those days anyways, but I wanted those moments. Like I wanted those days to just like cuddle and like hold my child. And I got it. It was great. And my, I mean, Toshin was, uh, we did a lot of non-stress tests towards the end and he was taken at 30 eight weeks, two weeks early with induction. I loved getting induced. You know, I went to the hospital and I literally had him four hours later. So that was a difference compared to 48 hours worth of basically like craziness with Sebastian. Redemption, right, is an amazing thing, I think, sometimes. And I think there's something to be said when you just kind of let things go and not don't worry about like the little things and you just, you just let yourself be and you're like, all right, like I'm not going to, you know, do these workouts. I'm just going to figure something out at home and I'm not going to do this. I'm just going to let things like naturally come and, and how much better sometimes things can end up, you know, I guess working out. And I think God, the universe, whatever you believe in just had a plan to kind of help redeem, you know, what happened with Sebastian and, and give you guys that, that redo that you wanted. And so along the lines of, of parenting. This is something I don't think we got too much into last time. You said like your pregnancy with Sebastian forever has changed how you want to raise your kids. Like in what ways has has it changed that you think will relate to some of the listeners? When you see your firstborn child in a NICU bed hooked up to all the wires tubes you know down his throat in his leg you name it like I had this moment where like my life could go two ways like I am the lucky one I look back on that experience and I thank God every single day that I have a healthy child like I could have had a child who brought so much life and love to our family but who would have needed a lot of financial support a lot of physical support it would have changed like Chris and I were talking like it, that two, those two weeks when Sebastian was in the NICU was this time where we were in shock. We were heartbroken and we were in survival mode of like, will you go back to the law firm? Will we move down to Orange County and go to Chalk Hospital? Will you get our parents to help? Where will we, you know, like, will I stay? I would stay home obviously with the kids. Like they would just, everything would change. And most importantly, like his life would be so different. And so I have this trauma, but I have this like moment every day where I look at him and I think to myself, like, we can be so, we can be living such a different life. And he is this magical, joyful, present little boy who just always wants me to play. And so in when I, when I look at him, all I want to do is be, be, be there for him, be present for him, support him, like in a way that I don't think I would have been as present and focused on, I would have wanted to be. But when your child is almost taken from you and you have this other life in your mind, it's just, it's just a constant reminder of like how lucky we are. And I mean, Chris and I prayed so hard every single day and, you know, I know it would have been really hard. I know we would have figured it out. Like Chris and I have a forever kind of love and I'm really lucky that he's my partner. Definitely. He really held me up those first two weeks, but 
it's, yeah, I mean, it's a wake up call. Mm -hmm. Wow. Thanks for sharing that. I think anytime you go through something as traumatic as what you went through, it definitely puts things into perspective on what's actually important in life and what actually matters. So I guess along those lines, I got, I had a listener question that was wanted me to ask like how, like on the topic of raising kids, like, like what tips do you have for parents whose kids are like picky eaters? Yeah. They don't eat their vegetables and stuff like that. Yeah. It's like all the research. So I wrote a whole kids course on this after having, after having Sebastian and then going through everything I went through, I wrote my pregnancy course to teach women to balance their blood sugar during pregnancy and nourish their children, you know, their child in utero or children have multiples. And then after having Sebastian and Tashin, I wrote Fab Four Under Four. And the whole course goes into the science of exposure and modeling and nutrient density and gut microbiome building because the kids' microbiome is building for the first three or four years of their life. Like it's really considered leaky gut until they're around three or four. And and all of our modeling, like so we know in families, so if, you, if this person has a picky eater, that exposure to exposure and modeling is the number one thing that that person or or them or their spouse can do. And we know from their research that actually the dad eating vegetables is more, it determines whether the child will eat vegetables more than the mom. So really it's something that I shared with Chris because Be Bad by Chris likes fried onion rings and he likes burgers. And so it's really important to me that if he doesn't want to eat with us as a family because he likes to eat when the kids are down so he can like relax and chew his food and he doesn't have like a lot going on, that he sits down and has the veggies with us when we have when we have dinner. And so we sit down as a family and we make it work. And I bring Bash to the farm and I let him cut the veggies and sauce them up and season them because every bit of exposure, whether you're reading about veggies in a book, taking them to a farm, letting them pick the veggie, letting them cut the veggie, sauce it up, cook with it, taste it. You got to taste it. Oh, it's so yummy. I wonder if it's going to be crunchy or I want it's going to be soft. You didn't get spicy. Is it too spicy? Can you handle it? Like you got to have fun with it and get them. This is like, we forget that this is learning. Like we don't need to teach our kids math on paper with like, with blocks. We can teach them math with red peppers. We can teach them colors with vegetables. We can teach them if something sinks or floats in a pot of water. Like there is so much education that can happen in a kitchen. And so when moms say like, I don't have time to do that, or they just don't eat it, the majority of parents stop offering vegetables between three and five rejections. So if your child says, I don't like that, I don't like that, I don't like that three times, it's between three and five times that a parent will stop making that veggie. But we know exposure is six to 12 times before 18 months in this like amazing flavor window. And then after 18 months, we know it's sometimes upward of 30 times. So make the veggies, get them involved, change the shape, change the color, change how it's prepared, but get them involved and model it. So they say, well, if I'm going to make these veggies and they're not going to eat them, all I say back is, well, you are, and that's a major benefit to you and your health. So let's get on board. And I mean, I beat the drum big time in the course about sugar intake for kids because the reality is kids are going to eat a lot of sugar. So if you're not diligent in your home about keeping it out, like they're going to get it at grandma's, all the birthdays, all the holidays. The minute they're in school, it's it's over. Like it's 
everywhere. So you need to keep your home as much as you can a sanctuary. And like most moms, sugar starts to come around and you're like, shoot, I had to take an inventory of my pantry and fridge again. I got to start over. It happens to adults too. Like we start to bring things in and then they become a habit for six weeks. And you're like, I've been buying that chocolate bar for six weeks. And like a couple months ago, I didn't eat chocolate after dinner. And like, you know, or I didn't have that ice cream. I got to stop buying that. Like make the decision once the store, not 30 times every time you open the fridge and try to say no. Right. No, you're, you're, you're so spot on. I think actions speak louder than words, right? So if you're telling your kids to eat vegetables and you're eating pizza every night, they're going to be like, there's going to be some, like a disconnect. They're going to be like, wait a second. Why are they telling me to eat vegetables? If, if the, per- the people that I trust the most are eating pizza and I don't think it's intentional. I think parents, you know, especially when you have younger kids running around and they're still in the house, they're super overwhelmed. They're super busy. And they're tired, man. And tired to eat, right? <laughs> yeah. And, and, and so along those lines, like you're super busy. You're a mom, you're a wife, you have two young kids, you have a podcast, you have a business, you see clients, you speak, you do all the things. Like what are some of your best practices for optimizing your energy and remaining productive throughout the day? Yeah. There is not a day where I don't break my fast with protein, some type of protein, whether that's an egg scramble with veggies and avocado or a fat force smoothie or even leftovers from the night before. Like that is key for me having energy, balancing my blood sugar and feeling my best. And then when it comes to cooking, like we have veggies in the fridge. I do this thing called meal prep light where I just like wash and chop all my veggies that I buy. And it's every like three or four days when I like get a run, go to the grocery store or go to the farm here and wash and chop things. But if that stuff is like semi-prepared and I can either just like roast them real quick or throw them in a salad or chop it up and dip it in like some kind of like dip or primal ranch or kava hummus or something like veggies need to be easy to make or easy to cook. And then a lot of times we're making easy to make proteins like that may be ground turkey, ground chicken, ground beef, eggs, pork tenderloin, or I I use a slow cooker or a pressure cooker. Like if I have protein, that's Chris always says, if there's protein in the fridge, I'm a happy man. And it's true. Like otherwise, what are we doing? We're opening the pantry. We're looking for snacks. And I always say, like, if you're hungry, sit down for a meal. And I don't care if lunch is at 11 and dinner's at 4 p.m., like, sit down for a meal. Snacks are, snacks don't really work. They don't calm our hunger. They don't make us feel full. And if you're not picking the right snacks, they make you more hungry come that meal. They dysregulate your blood sugar. So way better for you to sit down to a meal. And at the end of the night, if you're like, okay, I'm a little bit hungry and I had dinner at 4 p.m., well, great. Have a chocolate almond butter fab for a smoothie for dessert and you're still balancing your blood sugar throwing in some greens if you want but you don't have to worry about that when you get there sit down for a meal yeah it's it's so true and i think you know i think there's a lot to be said for sitting down as a family and having a meal like if you can make that work because it kind of it kind of takes a break from the day and it kind of becomes its own thing because now you're you can clear out the noise and you can just kind of just sit there and have a conversation and take your mind off work which is probably most of the time can be stressful and and actually just sitting down and enjoying a meal with the people that you love most and i think again it can be a good example of how your kids can see the way you eat 
building connections, building healthy relationships with your kids that I think will hopefully carry on like as they, they go about their own lives. So I guess the, the last question I, I have, and you know, I was going to talk, I was going to dig more into some of your stuff personally, but I think I've made you cry enough <laughs> is, is one of the questions that I got asked to ask you was like, how do you deal with clients that come to you and they're struggling with body image or they're struggling with eating disorders, which is something that's super common now, especially with the rise of social media? Yeah. You know, one of my favorite things to do is to understand people's food rules. So like I have clients who say white rice is really bad for you. And I might bring up all the reasons why white, white rice is actually more digestible. White rice doesn't contain the bran, which is where the majority of heavy metals live. White rice is a really fast and great way to restore glycogen stores in the body. So I always try to like think about where their, what their food rules are and and use science to kind of butt up against those food rules and say, because the body is amazing. The body is capable of handling so much, whether someone is, you know, keto or they're plant-based or they're paleo or they're, you know, gluten-free or dairy-free or, or they go out and they eat the McDonald's diet. Like the body is so resilient and it's so able to heal. And so when anyone has food rules or body dysmorphia or eating disorders, it's always really important to me that we're focusing on the biology. So like if I have access to it, I get someone a continuous glucose monitor or a glucometer to understand their blood sugar because what they're using is the mirror and the scale. And now we need to break down their food rules and we need to use something else. So a blood glucose, a glucometer is helpful in allowing people to understand like, oh, I can have rice and I'm cool. Or I, you know, this is a different marker that allows them to feel successful. Or I may give them a checklist that's like, no, this is your to-do list and you feel successful when you've done these things. Or, you know, really like I give my clients homework and whatever their kind of their set point is, if they're type A and they want to control everything, I actually will pull them back and try to have them control less and try to meet them where they are and pull them to sort of more of a easygoing, balanced way of life, if that makes sense. For sure. hundred percent. As a trainer, I totally understand the value of getting people to focus on things other than the scale, because that is one metric and one that you can't really control. Like you can control it to a certain extent. Like if you go and eat a bunch of fast food, like it's going to obviously tip the scale the other way. But what I, I guess what I mean and what you mean is that if you're eating healthy and you're drinking enough water and you're doing all the right things, like there's going to be days where the scale goes up just for no reason, just from hormone stuff, or maybe you didn't sleep well, or you ate something too salty or what have you, or it might drop for no reason. And there's so many other metrics that I think are useful that you can control that you can pay attention to. So I'm glad, really glad you brought that up. Well, Kelly, this has been awesome. I love talking to you and our combo definitely, I think, took a different direction that I think a lot of people chat with you about. And it's good because I like getting real on here and I like unpacking the why behind the person on social media, behind the person with the podcast, behind the person with your courses, because I think people will get to know you better and why you're so passionate about what you do. So I just wanted to thank you once again. Yeah, I know. This was really fun. Sorry, I cried. <laughs> oh, people have cried on here before. <laughs> and yeah, and for those listening, I, I'm sure you're going to be super inspired by what Kelly has shared. 
with everything. And then also she provided some, some very practical tips on nutrition stuff, traveling, kids, you name it. Like we talked about a lot of stuff. So what I want you to do is, is share your biggest takeaway, whether it was something that Kelly said nutrition related or something that she said about her incredible pregnancy story that she took a took something that was really traumatic in her life and has turned it into something meaningful. So tag her, tag myself. We'd love to hear your feedback. And we once again, thank you for listening to this episode of the Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bobst. We'll see you next time.